American English is an interesting thing, isn't it? I mean, the language is called English, and, um, uh, you know, uh, American English. Uh, we, we go to the opticians to get spectacles, but no, 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 Americans don't think like that. You know, they're going to go, you know, there's something wrong with my eyes. I can't go to an optician, I need an actual doctor. So Americans go to the eye doctor to get eyeglasses, like you have glasses anywhere else on your body. <laughs> Like, you know, you don't have ear glasses, do you? Or nose glasses. No, no, let's be specific. We have eyeglasses in America. Every rest of the world has spectacles, but we have eyeglasses. And then you get, you know, you're walking down the side of the road and, you know, we will call it a pavement. We call it a pavement. No, 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 no. It is the side that you walk on. Or let's call it a sidewalk. I mean, come on, America. Uh, you, have a, you have a game called the World Series that you only play but you call it the World Series, like the rest of us are excluded, but you know we're gonna win because we're America. But anyway, uh, you should never mock the man with the microphone. It's so good to be here, and uh, I have a great love for uh, America, and uh, I'm banned from that country. So, um, no, it's not true, it's not true. Uh, uh, actually, I do love American football. I do love American football, because you know, you know, they have this big moment where there's this one guy, he's paid, to do one thing, kick a football, right? That's it. He doesn't do anything else the whole game, right? He sits on the side for the whole game and then they bring him out to kick a football which someone's going to hold still for him because he's not even good enough to kick a moving football, right? And they pay him loads of money and then he misses. And it's not even as far. If you watch rugby, they kick it further Football. Foot and ball. No, no, no. Handball. Foot. Anyway, I digress. Uh, uh, we've only just become friends, so I'm being really kind right now. You know, if we were really friends, I'd be going for it. Um, uh, it's great to be with you and great to be in English service and great for Pastor Magda to actually be able to sit down and listen. Um, so that's really good because Pastor Magda is one of the best interpreters you will ever find anywhere. She's absolutely brilliant and a pretty awesome pastor as well. Um, we love your pastors, Zibi and Magda, and um, just love that we've had this decade of working together and more than that of knowing one another and excited about all else that's coming. So it's all good. It's all good. Okay, you got your Bible. You want to turn to 2 Kings and chapter 5. Um, because we've not got translation, I've got a little bit more time to play with, which is great for me. Um, one of the things I love is comebacks, comebacks. And uh, I, I love when someone's being defeated and, th and then they come back. I genuinely do love American football and, uh, and, and actually uh, and watch it every week in the season. And uh, I don't have a team and I'm not going to become a Broncos fan. Uh, my son-in-law-to-be is a Broncos fan, so that's one reason not to. Um, and, um, but, uh, you know, I do, I do love it. And uh, I do love when a team you don't expect to win wins, you know, like the Patriots every single time. And, um, and, and, but I love a comeback. And, uh, I, and in real football, I'm a Bolton Wanderers fan. Anybody heard of Bolton Wanderers? You, that, you don't count. You've been, yeah, you, they're about three people. That's fine. I, I understand that. And my son feels the same. Uh, we were living in London, and because I'm from Bolton, which is just to the north of Manchester, and um, and so you know, there's not many Bolton fans in the world. They're all from Bolton, 
and their dads made them support Bolton. And um, we've lost most games this season. We are sitting second from bottom of the second division in, the, in England. And it's been a tough season. And every now and again you think, yes, and then you think, no. Um, but come back to interesting things that actually wired into how we think. You watch any action movie, I'll tell you the plot now. The plot is this. You meet the hero, you meet the bad guys. The hero and the bad guys meet each other. The bad guy starts to defeat the hero. The bad guy tells the hero what he's going to do to the hero. The hero wins. Right? That's it. That's every James Bond movie. That's exactly what happens. And every Rocky film. Right? Rocky film. Rocky meets the person he's going to fight. The person he's going to fight should kill Rocky. He kills someone else. Rocky then fights him and beats him. End of film. That's how it happens. We love the idea of a comeback. You love a rom-com. People love rom-coms. My wife doesn't like romantic films, which is brilliant. She likes films with car chases and fighting in them. So that works for me. Um, but you know, every now and again, we'll, like, we'll watch a romantic comedy, and it's always the same story. Guy meets girl. Guy and girl get together. Guy and girl split up. Guy and girl get back together at the end. Same story. Just in between, just a few different things happen and you're in a different part of the world. But it's exactly the same story. And the reason is actually inside of us, we like the idea that everything can be fixed. That when everything goes wrong, because we experience life and we know in life stuff goes wrong. Being a follower of Jesus does not insulate you from stuff going wrong. It's nowhere in the Bible does God say, and when you follow me, I will make your life happy and perfect. And I will protect you from everything that can go wrong. If someone's told you that, they sold you a lie. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible's really clear that sometimes we have to go through the valley of the shadow of death. That it's so difficult, we feel like death is over the top of us and we're living in its shadow, but we have to keep going. Winston Churchill famously said this, if you're going through hell, keep going. The worst thing to do is stop when you're in the midst of challenge and you're in the midst of difficulty and think, so this is what my life is about. Not true. It's just a season. And we love the idea of coming back, of getting back into it, because we know that our life has mountaintops where things are great and it has valleys when things are difficult. And we like to see the narrative that we're going to make it through. I want to talk to you about having a comeback. That for each and every one of us, where you are now is not where God wants you to be. How you're living now is not how God wants you to live. He wants to shift you. However good it is, it's still not all that God has for you. There's more that he has for you. You have a comeback inside of you and you've got to get to it. You've got your Bible and I hope you've turned to it. 2 Kings chapter 5. I have reached the stage where I actually have to take my glasses off to read. Uh, I've probably got to go for very focals, but I'm just not going to be the person who does this to talk to people. Um, 
Um, oh, let me, 2 Kings chapter 5, backstory. There's a guy called Naaman who's a, a commander in the Aramean army. And um, he is, an, in many senses, he's an enemy of the children of God. And he has a problem. And his problem is that Naaman has leprosy. And his leprosy means that although he's a talented and gifted commander, his, relationship, his relationships are limited because his leprosy separates him from others. And his wife has a slave girl who is Jewish. And, the, and what we know about Naaman is this. He must have been a pretty good master because the slave girl wanted to help him. And she says, is there anything? And she says, in Israel, there is a prophet. If you go to him, I mean, this is proper child faith. If you go to him, he will heal you. And we pick it up at this point. Naaman goes to see Elisha. And when he goes to see Elisha, Elisha says to him, Hey, if you dip yourselves seven yourself seven times into the Jordan River, you will be healed. And Naaman gets really indignant because, you know, he, he's, he's a man and he wants something heroic to do, not something simple. He wants something that, you know, looks good. And he says, I don't, I don't, I'm not going to do that. I'm not gonna. And his servants, come on, come on, come on. If he'd asked you to do yeah, yeah, wouldn't you? Yeah, I would have done that. Okay, dip in the river. So he dips in the river. Now, we don't know at what point it happened. Was it when he went under the seventh time? Was it when he came up the seventh time? But we do know at the end of seven, the leprosy is gone. Naaman gets out of the water. He's absolutely over the moon. He's like, what can I give you? You know, how can I bless you? He says, no, no, no. Elisha says, don't want anything from you. It's a gift from God, not from me. Don't want anything from you. And Elisha says this to him, go in peace, verse 19. After Naaman had traveled some distance, Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, the man of God, said to himself, let me give you a bit of warning. Be careful what you say to yourself. Because sometimes you will talk yourself into difficulties you could have avoided with someone else's wisdom. Gehazi said to himself, my master was too easy on Naaman, this Aramean, by not accepting from him what he brought. As surely as the Lord lives, I don't know what it's got to do with the Lord, but he's brought him into it. I will run after him and get something from him. So Gehazi hurried after Naaman and when Naaman saw him running towards him, he got down from the chariot to meet him. Is everything all right? He asked. Everything is all right. Gehazi answered, and then, instead of just saying, can I have something from you? He starts this elaborate lie. My master sent me to say, what? Where did you even get up? You know, where did you find that, Gehazi? Two young men from the company of the prophets have just come from the hill country of Ephraim. Please give them a talent of silver and two sets of clothes. By all means, take two talents, said Naaman. He urged Gehazi to accept them. Then he tied up the two talents of silver in two bags with two sets of clothes and he gave them to two of his servants and they carried them ahead of Gehazi. And when Gehazi came to the hill, he took the things from the servants, put them in the house, he sent the men away and they left. When he went in and stood before his master, Elisha asked him, where have you been Gehazi? Never lie to a prophet. That's my advice. Your servant didn't go anywhere, Gehazi answered. 
Elisha said to him, was not my spirit with you when the man got down from his chariot to meet you? Is this the time to take money or accept clothes or olive groves and vineyards or flocks and herds or, herds or male and female slaves? Which seems like Elisha's really accelerating that. Except he knows if you don't deal with what's in your heart, Gehazi, what you'll do will become much bigger. Naaman's leprosy will cling to you and your descendants forever. Then Gehazi went from Elisha's presence and his skin was leprous. It had become as white as snow. Wow. Elijah followed, sorry, Elisha had followed Elijah. Elijah had been the prophet of God before him. And Elisha's role had been his servant. And when Elijah was going to go to be with the Lord, he gave his anointing to Elisha. The servant became the master. Gehazi is Elisha's servant. He is in line to receive the anointing that has been sat on the man of God who has been leading the nation. He's in line to receive it, but because of his greed, his actions remove him from what he should receive. Be careful what you say to yourself. Be careful the conversations that you play in your head when you're on your own. And then we get to this. He's got leprosy. And leprosy, as you probably know, meant that you would be shunned from your family. You wouldn't be allowed to live in the city anymore. In fact, you would live on the rubbish tip outside the city and you would eat the food that you found in the rubbish tip because no one's going to give you food because they don't want to touch you because they were sure that leprosy was contagious. And yet we get to this in 2 Kings chapter 8. At the end of seven years, this woman came back from the land of the Philistines, verse 3, and went to appeal to the king for her house. Verse 4, the king was talking to Gehazi, the servant of the man of God, and said to him, tell me all the great things Elisha has done. And Gehazi was telling the king. So my question is, what happened? Because in chapter 7, he's got leprosy and he can't be with anyone. And in chapter 8, in, sorry, in chapter 6, and in chapter 8, He's now in the palace talking to the king. How do you get from the rubbish tip to the palace? When you have something about you that stops you being in relationship with others. That's some comeback. Like to become an advisor to the king from being an outcast and a leper that, so I read that and I was like, wow, that's amazing. What, what, what happened there? So I'm like, chapter five, that's where it all came apart in chapter five. Chapter six, an axe head floats, okay, all right. Chapter, further on chapter six, um, Elisha's got a new servant. He's talking to his new servant and uh, there's blind Arameans. Then there's a famine, starts at the end of chapter six and uh, the Arameans, the very people that um, Elisha sent and got him healed, name and the Arameans, they come back. And, um, and then we get into the start of chapter 7 and the famines got so severe that, um, that people are now eating their rubbish and, and it, it turns really nasty, really nasty. And then you get into the early part of chapter 7, you get to verse 3 and it says this, now there were four men with leprosy. 
Oh. Do you know how many named lepers there are in the Bible? Four. That's it. They're the only named lepers in the Bible. Five with Naaman. Gehazi, Moses. Moses had a great trick. It's the best parenting trick I have ever seen. Right? God said to Moses, I'm going to give you a sign. And the sign is this. When you put your hand inside your jacket and you pull it out, your hand's got leprosy on it. Then you put your hand back in, pull it out, leprosy gone. Can you imagine parenting like that? Are you going to do what I say? I'm not going to do what you say. Do you want to think about that? Like, really? What do you want to do with this? No, no, Dad, you're fine, you're fine, I'll do it. Good decision. You know, I mean, it's just, so you get that. And then his sister, uh, she becomes a leper. And then you get Simon the leper in the New Testament, right? So Gehazi has become a leper. Jewish history tells us that Gehazi had, are you ready? Three sons. Who do you think the four lepers were? Because isn't it odd that there's a leper colony outside a city that Elisha is inside sitting by a wall. Gehazi, we know, had family. He had a wife and daughters that he became separated from. Oh. You see, when God decides to set you up for a comeback, it doesn't matter how bad it's got. It doesn't matter how far you feel away from him. It doesn't matter how much you feel you've missed the mark. It doesn't matter if you blew it completely. If God decides to bring you back, God, God can do that. There's four lepers sat outside the city wall in verse 7. There were four men with leprosy at the entrance of the city gate, verse 3 of chapter 7, and they said to each other, have you ever noticed that the Bible uses that kind of phrase a lot, they, they said to each other? Like, you know, at the same time. They all turned and said the same words at the same time. It doesn't mean they said to each other, it means they agreed together. So one of them says to the others, and I want to speculate postulate and consider that it was Gehazi why stay here until we die if we say we'll go into the city the famine is there and we'll die if we stay here we'll die so let's go over to the camp of the Arameans and surrender and if they spare us we live and if they kill us we die it's not the most inspiring speech that anybody has ever given for how to move forward in life. You know, option one, die. Option two, die. Option three, probably die. What do you want to do? Hmm, probably option three then. You know, it's, it's, it's not a tough sell that he's going with here. He's not kind of, you know, he's not, there's no music in the background. There's no band playing. No one's leapt to their feet and run forward. They're just like, yeah, okay. I guess if you're giving us those options, probably die is better than die. Hmm. How does God set you up for a comeback? Well, let's just learn three simple lessons. Number one is this. God creates limitations. Often in my life, I have got to stages and circumstances and, and I have said, God, why is it that you've allowed the enemy 
or circumstance to make my life difficult? Why is it that you've let, let it be that this has limited me, that stopped me doing what I know you want me to do? Why have you done this, God? Why have you let others do it? And God says, I didn't let others do it. It was mostly me. Because we want to somehow let God off the hook with limiting our lives. But God is the one who more often than not creates limitations. The children of Israel are fleeing Egypt. They get to the Red Sea. They've got the Red Sea in front of them, uh, the Egyptian army behind them. There is nowhere to turn. The more they are squashed in, the worse it feels. But if you're ready for a miracle, you need the squeeze to get you to the point of the miracle. Let me tell you, limitations, you think they're there to hurt you, they're actually there to help you find the way. So they've got these limitations on them. Peter denies Christ. I mean, just think for a moment about the, that narrative of Peter. He's watching Jesus go to a trial. You, you know him? No, 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 I don't, I don't, no, no, I don't know. I don't know. Somebody else turns around a little bit later and goes, no, no, no. You're from the north. You, you definitely with him. No, 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 no. And then a girl accuses him. And he gets so mad, the Bible says he swears at her. This is not Peter. The limitations have squeezed him. And then he has to meet Jesus for breakfast. You ever had to meet somebody the day after you've done something really daft? Now imagine it's Jesus you meet for breakfast. Meet Jesus for breakfast. Do you love me? Jesus, you know I love you. Yeah. No, Peter, do you really love me? Jesus, you know, you. Jesus, you know I love you. <laughs> no, Peter, do you? You, you, you know I love you. He, he, there's a restaurant. What's happening? Limitation. Getting squeezed into a space and we're going, God, I thought you wanted me to do this and go here and do this and go here. God, I thought I saw all of this open before me, but it feels like it's because I'm setting you up for a comeback. Uh, you think this limitation is to make you smaller. It's not. It's actually to make you bigger. The, 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 the caterpillar goes into the chrysalis to become bigger than it is when it goes in. But it needs the limitation, the chrysalis, to build the muscles, to break out, to fly. If you never get the limitation, the chrysalis, the butterfly can't fly. It's impossible. And you're saying, God, this limitation, this is not you. I am praying against it. I'm coming against it in the name of Jesus, but it still doesn't seem to be going away. And God says, because you can't come against me in my own name. Because I created the limitation, not for this season, but for the... You see, we're dealing with this season all the time. Because we live in our now. God, outside of time, is dealing with all your life. That's why it's weird when he speaks to you in this part of your life, when you're young... And he says to you, this is what you're going to be and this is what you're going to do. And you think, I can't do that. That's because the person he's speaking to and seeing is not this person. He's seeing this person on the timeline of your life. But he's speaking to this person here about who you're going to become. And so you get pulled through your life with all these limitations squeezing you. And then suddenly, ah, oh, I'm now living in the thing that he promised but I heard it when I wasn't the person I needed to be. And the limitations that I went through in all of these seasons, they shaped me to be the person that I needed to be. 
Do you know one of the biggest problems we have in the UK with churches? Pastors. <laughs> right? And, and I say it, and I'm, this is why I mean it, right? Pastors who want to be the senior pastor, but the call of God on them is not to be the senior pastor. And we haven't, for years, worked out how to let people function in their gift without being the one in charge. So you get lots of small churches. Because the gift only lets them be a certain size. But when you take your gift and you put it under a different anointing, what you can do is so much bigger than what you could do when you're under your own anointing. So man, I'm a, I led a church, senior pastor of a church. It was going pretty good. It was going pretty good. A few hundred people. It's going pretty good. Then God says to me, I want you to go and be with Glenn and Sophie in Manchester. And I'm going, but I'm leading the church, God. Because, you know, that's, that's, that's the goal, right? You know, if you're in a career, get to the top. Uh, I'm senior pastor, God. Hmm. Come on, God. You know this works. Don't want you to do that. Well. So I, I realized that I got to the top of the ladder but the ladder was leaning against the wrong building. So I got on another ladder. So now I find myself here. When my ladder ended up over there. Because the limitations were self-imposed. I'd said, this is where I can get to. And God said, no, no, no. I got something much bigger for you. God creates limitations. Four lepers sitting against the wall. We can't go back. We're going to die. We can't stay here because there's no food left. The famine's so severe there isn't a rubbish tip. So we might as well try and move forward at least. Everything about their circumstance that had once made them comfortable is now gone. Their only option is. I find it interesting, secondly, so firstly, God gives you limitations. Secondly, God gives you people to agree with you. They said to each other. Can you imagine that conversation? Sat against this wall. We stay here, we, die. we do, we do die, we do. He's right, I know he's right. If, if we go there, you, I know what you're saying. You can say we're going to die. We are going to die. You, you're right, I, 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 I totally agree. If we go there, we're going to die. No, no, we might live, we might live. Yeah, we might live, but we'll probably die. We will probably die, yes, you're right. What do you think? Well, I think we might die. We might die. We will die. We'll definitely die. We'll probably die. Well, well, let's go for probably. Yeah, we should go for probably. You've got to find some people who agree with you. Man, stop talking to people who tell you what you can't do. Stop letting them be the predominant voice that shapes where you're going. People who say, no, no, you're never going to do that. No, you're never going to achieve that. No, no, no. Be content with where you are. Because you've done really well. Just, just be happy with that. Man, just start to find some people who will agree with the ridiculous things that you say. 
the ridiculous ideas that you keep throwing out. Find some people who go, that's, you think that's ridiculous? Let me tell you ridiculous. You know, um, man, we're looking for people all the time. We're in the middle of a building program in our church. It's expensive, all right? It's about, it's about 25 million pounds, right? And so all the time I'm looking for people in bigger building programs. Two reasons. Number one, I want to know that someone's got a worse problem than I've got. I mean, that's great. Right? That's great. I do that all the time. All the time I'm looking for someone in more trouble than I am. Because, you know, that encourages my faith. If, God can, if God's helping them, then, then I'm okay. And, and, and then, no, I'm looking for people who've done it. Because they can go, yeah, yeah, 24 million? Are you joking? We did 148 million. You're easy in this. Brilliant. I want to hear people say that. I don't want people going, what? what? Did, did you say 2.4? No, I didn't say 2.4. When we bought our building, I, uh, I phoned up a bank. We bought our building for 2.5 million uh, around about six years ago. I phoned a bank in the process to, to see if they would lend us any money. And, um, and I said, oh, I phoned them up. And I was, you know, I was a little naive. First time I'd really borrowed this kind of money. And I said, um, I said hey, um, how much do you want? This guy says, I said, oh, around about two and a half. He says, we can do it. I said, oh, that's awesome. I said, that's brilliant. You can do two and a half. He said, definitely do two and a half. He says, what are you building? I said, oh, you know, it's just... And then I said, and in England, a building like this, uh, we call it a shed. It's, it's got a metal roof. We call them a shed. I said, oh, it's a shed. He said, man, two and a half is a really expensive shed, <laughs> right? Because shed, you know, in England means that thing in your garden. What do you call it in America? A shed. Yeah, well done. Um, <laughs> that's one word you got right. Um, right. So he thinks I'm building a shed in my back garden. I'm thinking two and a half million for a shed in my back garden. How's he got there? He's thinking 2,500 pounds for a church building is pretty good. I said, how much do you think I'm talking about? He says, 2,500 pounds. I said, you think I'm phoning you to borrow 2,500 pounds to build a church building? He says, yeah. I said, if I wanted to spend £2,500, I'd use a credit card. <laughs> not, a, not borrow it from you. He says, how much do you want? I said, two and a half million. And he says, oh, that's too big for us. And he put the phone down on me. I was like, wow, I'm never talking to you again about anything. Because the moment you say that's too big for us, you made a decision about what God you serve. Uh, if we sit here, we're going to die. If we go there, we're going to die. But if we go there, well, maybe, maybe it could happen. Perhaps it could. We may die. Yeah, we'll probably die, but you know. We may not build it. God may not come through. But I'd rather have someone go, well, let's give it a go then. Let's try it. Who's agreeing with you when you because when you share what God's put in your heart you want someone to go oh totally I can see you doing that oh, I can see yeah yeah you can do that yeah God's gifted you for that God set you up for that all of your life's led to this find some people who'll speak life and faith to it instead of some people just going to be yeah we're going to die like, and you don't need a lot of faith well probably maybe live was enough to get them going so 
You've got to recognize your limitations there for a reason. You've got to find some people to agree with you. And the third thing is this, right? You've got to realize that your pathetic is powerful. Four lepers leaning against the wall. They have their conversation. They says this in verse 5. At dusk, they got up and went to the camp of the Arameans. Now bear in mind that the famine in the city is so severe that people are eating the things that you don't eat. Right? That's what's happening. These guys have not only got leprosy, but now they're starving. They're not exactly healthy specimens. Like, they, they, you know, unlike me, they, they're not built well. They sat against the wall, starving, leprous. I don't think they leapt to their feet. We often, when it comes to living for God, we all like when we feel we can jump. The enthusiasm, the energy. But there are some times that that's the least powerful thing we do. The most powerful thing we do is when we feel we're at the bottom, we actually stand up. Because it takes more faith to get up when it's all gone wrong than it takes to jump when it's all going right. Now, one is not better than the other, they're just different. It's four lepers. At dusk, they all stood up. Now, they didn't all go, you ready? One, two, three, and up. They didn't do that, right? That's not what they did. They all stood up. One of them went, okay, right. I'm getting up. I'm getting, and you can imagine that they're, they're climbing up each other. They're, they're, they're getting to their feet. They did not have the energy to march. Because your pathetic is powerful. Man, it's just... Come on, lads. Come on. Let me, let me help you up. Come on. I'm up now. I, I, can, I can give you a little bit. Come on. Help yourself a little bit. Come on. Help your brother. Yeah, yeah. Come on. Okay, we're up. Let's go. I don't have a lot. It's been a tough year. It's been a tough year. Man, if I was to tell you about my year right now, I'll cry and you'll cry. It's been a tough year. But I can do one more step. And if I've got a friend who can walk with me, I reckon I've got another step in me. I think I can do another day. Come on. I think... Maybe... Well, we're away from the wall now. Next stop's the camp. Come on. Four lepers, shuffling along. Yeah. I mean, that's the best they've got. They've got a little bit, just a little bit. They're not bursting with energy. 
they're, they're not firing on all cylinders. They're not kind of turning each other and going, come on! They're just, oh. I bet they had to stop on the way. They haven't eaten now for weeks. They haven't eaten anything healthy for a long time. At dusk, they got up and went to the camp of the Arameans. When they reached the edge of the camp, no one was there because the Lord had caused the Arameans to hear the sound of chariots and horses and a great army. When do you think the sound started? Your pathetic's powerful. Because it's not what you do. it's, It's not what you say. It's not the noise that you make. It's not the actions you have. It's what God does. Because four lepers shuffling along. Suddenly, God turns up the volume. Oh man, it's... Is that, is, is that an army? Is, is, I can hear horses. Man, man, I, I, that's horses and chariots. That's the Egyptians. The Egyptians are coming. The, the Egyptians are coming. Everybody go, go, run, run, run. And suddenly the Arameans are in full flight. Because four lepers... Shuffled, pathetically, hoping at best for a bite to eat, considering they would probably die, and everything changed. Well, they get to the camp of the Arameans, and and, and we carry on reading. It says this, the men who had leprosy, verse 8, reached the edge of the camp, entered one of the tents, ate and drank. Then they took silver, gold, and clothes and went off and hid them. Oh. Does that sound familiar? Like, hi. Does that sound familiar? Like, who else took silver and clothes and hid them? Because we repeat our mistakes. And then they said to each other, which they didn't. We know someone said it first. What we're doing is not right. Because you don't have to repeat your mistakes. You have to learn from your mistakes. So I think Gehazi says, that's what we're doing is not right. I have been here before. I have been down this route. I know where this ends. And then he says this, he says, let's, um, this is a day of good news, we're keeping it to ourselves. If we wait until daylight, punishment will overtake us. Let's go at once and report this where? To the royal palace. Okay. 
So they went and called out the city gatekeepers and told them, we went to the Aramean camp. No one was there. Not a sound of anyone, or the t- only tethered horse and donkeys and the tents, just like they left them. The gatekeeper reported the news. It was reported to the palace. The king got up and said to his officers, I'll tell you what the Arameans have done to us. They know we're starving. And so he thinks it's a bad thing. Go and find out what has happened. Oh, this is the moment. We don't know at what point Gehazi stopped being leprous, but we do know that he did. I don't know if it was when he went, lads, what we're doing here is not good. I don't know if it was at the walk back to the town. I don't know if it was when he knocked on the door. I don't know if it was when he shouted up to the gatekeepers, but I do know this. Gehazi finds himself in chapter 8 in the presence of the king because everything he had done had ruined his life. Then he suddenly, with one thing that he did, with one decision that he made, he turned the whole thing around. God took a hold and said, yeah, I can use this. I can do it. Whatever has happened in your life, Whatever has gone wrong, whatever you think has disqualified you from doing what God has called you to do, God has set you up for a comeback. Man, he set you up to do everything he's ever asked of you. He set you up to be the person that he called you to be. Uh, you keep telling yourself, no, 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 not me, I blew it, you know. When I was younger, I thought this and, and I felt God had said this, but I, I made these decisions and I am missing out now on what God has for me. And I'm telling you, you have not missed out on anything that God has for you. He can do it in a moment. We call it redemption. He can turn any circumstance around in a second. He has set you up for a comeback. Band, why don't you come and join me for a moment? See, the beautiful thing for Gehazi was this, and we get into chapter eight. His comeback was not about him. The comeback of Gehazi was so much bigger than himself. See, what God's talking to you about, what you think you missed out on, wasn't about you. Because when Gehazi comes back, the first thing that happens is he gets back his family. The family is restored to what it's supposed to be. It wasn't supposed to be separate. They weren't supposed to be living separate lives Limited because of a decision Gehazi had made before. They were supposed to be together. See, you got family and you got the challenges that come with family and separation has occurred. God wants to bring it back together. He wants to redeem that family so that you are not separated. But then this happens. The whole city is blessed. Because they're all starving in there. They're inside the city waiting to die just like the lepers are waiting to die. Even when they hear good news, the city doesn't recognize it as good news because they've not had good news for a long time. That's why they don't get the church sometimes because we talk good news and they go, I don't understand what you're saying. We're not used to good news. And they have to investigate it. And the whole city, suddenly when they were starving and not believing the word of God, the gates open to the city and everybody is free. See, Gehazi wasn't just dealing with himself. And he wasn't just dealing with his family. He was actually setting the city free. And then he sat in the king's presence in chapter 8 and the Shunammite woman arrives. You see, you're not just dealing with you. And you're not just dealing with your family. 
And you're not just setting the city free, but actually there is a, there is a mandate on you as a church for internationals. The Shunammite walks back in and he goes, oh, that's the woman. That's the one. Elisha raised the son from the dead. That's, that's the one. That's it. What? Give her back everything she needs. Favor falls on her life. You are, you've been settled for a comeback. You keep saying stuff, can't be me. No, no, can't be me. God says, yeah, yeah. It's you. I've set you up. Not just for your sake, but for your family, for the city, and for those who come to the city. You are set up to do it. We're going to pray and then I'm going to hand back to, um, to one of the pastors in a moment. Uh, Pastor Josiah, I'm going to hand back. But before we do, let's pray. Because hey? I do believe God wants to sort of seal his word in people's lives. Jesus. If you're, if you're feeling at the moment you've been um, living in that space of limitation that you felt life squeeze you in but you're recognising now that that wasn't life squeezing you in that, that, got, that was God squeezing you in and you're saying Lord help me to hear what you want me to do so that I can live from this into freedom then then I, I, I would love to pray for you you know everyone's got their heads bowed and it's reasonably dark now um, but I would love to pray with you if I, hey church why, why don't you stand to your feet if we could have some house lights that'd be great because actually I want to see people why don't you stand to your feet for a minute we'll put a little bit of house that's great perfection thank you so much alright why don't you raise your hands just like God I'm, we're in your presence and we're acknowledging your presence and recognising you're here right now you recognise in, in yourself as I've been speaking the Holy Spirit's been speaking to you he's used some of my words but he's used a lot of his own words and he has pointed out to you some of the ways you've talked to yourself and you're realising, God, I've got to deal with that. Or he's pointed out to you that you've been living in limitation and that it's him. And you're recognising that suddenly or you're seeing that you've got to get the right people around you to agree with you. Then you've got to do the pathetic. Just make a step. Just make a step. So this is what I invite you to do. I, I'm... I'm not going to lay hands on anyone. I'm not going to pray for anyone. I don't feel that's the kind of thing I want to do right now because I just feel there's a, there's a transaction going to go on between you and God. But if one of those things has really impacted you, then I want you to do, it's simple, but it's challenging. Slide out of your seat and come and stand at this altar at the front. Uh, we call it an altar because this is where we make our sacrifices. Sacrifice of praise happens at the altar. And a sacrifice of our lives where we go, God, this is all of yours. It happens at the altar. So uh, we're going to sing. And, um, and while we're singing, if you're saying, God, that's me. One of those things, just you've spoken to me. And I want to acknowledge it 
by doing something. And that something is, I'm going to slide out of my seat and I'm going to come stand at the front and just bring my worship to you in acknowledgement of what you've said. Then that'd be great.